Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, in a near-hour-long discussion, Graham McMillan and I dig deep into the first six issues of the Legion of Superheroes Five Years Later series from 1989 and 90 by Keith Giffen, Tom and Mary Beerbaum, and Al Gordon. We also scraped the surface of the mysteries we've been watching, The Lurching Charm of Fuka by Koichi Sieo, The Secret Philosophy of Paul Levitz, Multiversity Masterman by Grant Morrison, Jim Lee, and much, much more. Vigorous, virtuous show notes await you at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy... Thank you for listening. Jeff. Graham. Oh, thank God. Hi. <laughs> the reason I say that is um, when Skype just rang, mm-hmm. it ra- it didn't ring through the headphones. It rang through the speakers. Oh, dear. Even though the headphones are plugged in. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. as soon as you started talking, it came through the headphones. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I've had that happen before, too, where it's like it decides to play the sound effects through the computer speakers. And then you're yeah. Like, why would you do this? Exactly. exactly. This is not what we agreed. <laughs> exactly. I said settings, computer. <laughs> uh, also, I should tell you right now, and uh, listeners, uh, this might be the doggiest of the podcasts that we've ever done. Mm. Um, because in my office right now... No. <laughs> Jeff, not one, not two, no. but three dogs. What? Oh my god. So, so, if someone comes to the door, which you know is going to happen at some point in the next two and a half hours, yes. I will very quickly go to mute. But yes. I'm just saying, just, just when you're editing, oh just chop my, my, my side of the conversation out so people aren't overwhelmed <laughs> by the barking. Okay. 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 I appreciate the heads up on this. Yeah. Um, um, yes. I have I have not only our two, but I have a neighbor's dog as well. And Kate is not here, so they further all in with me. Oh my god, really? Wow. Yes. This is yes. just hmm, Graham, you like to you like to live a dangerous life, I have to say. I, I yeah, I love to live a dangerous life. And as you can imagine, I was super thrilled when I realized this was going to be the case. Mm-hmm. I you can probably guess my excitement, Jeff. Oh, I, I'm sure I can. I'm sure I'm sure I can. Uh yeah, so so it might get loud at some point. So just I apologize in advance to everyone. Everyone that isn't me in, in this. Uh I also apologize in advance for the fact that uh while I've read a a lot of comics mm-hmm. uh, in the last week, um many of them are for the thing that just happened that you know about, but I can't actually talk about publicly because of the NDA. Ah, so yeah. I'm relatively behind on recent comics. Uh, that's okay. I mean, yeah, I, I've I've got some recent comics to talk about, I suppose. But I, I, I well, I'm super excited. You know, but but a not that many. B, it's not as many as the other stuff, things that we talked about talking about. And and C, we still have stuff because last week was a Baxter Building podcast. You know, we can dig all the way back and talk about stuff like um, Multiversity Mastermind if we want to. Because I don't think who, we talked about it online. Exactly. And and who who wouldn't want to talk about that comic? Yeah, right. No kidding, huh? I mean... Uh, <laughs> although, <laughs> really? That, that bad? Um, I was going to say something I did read that came out this week. Well, a couple of things I got sent as comps mm-hmm. that, that I've read. And I was wondering if you picked up either. Were the Black Hood... 
No. And Suiciders? Uh, no. Is the Lee Bermejo um, new Vertigo series. Oh, you know, I'm sorry, I take it back. I actually did pick that up, I just haven't read it yet. Uh, it, well, in that case, I won't say anything about it because I don't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you and I will have a very interesting conversation about that comic. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that means you. I think you'll like it. Because mm-hmm. I'm still not sure if I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think I can imagine the two of us having a lot to say about what it's trying to do. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well. Um. Well. Good, Graham. Let's, listeners, let's just sit here for five minutes and imagine that conversation now. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't pick up Black Hood. Uh, that's the Archie Circle stuff, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Circle the, the, the gets the square. Circle. Yeah. yeah uh, mm. It's, uh, it's Dwayne Swarzynski. Yes. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, and Michael Gados. And Michael Gados has never before seemed quite as Alex Maleev as he does in this comic. Oh, interesting. It's it's, it's the point where I was maybe three pages in, and I was like, I didn't know that Alex Maleev was driving, driving this comic. <laughs> and then I had to go back and check the credits, because mm-hmm. it's that Maleev. Mm, wow, just that heavy. It's interesting. They have sort of a similar style, thinking of it. I'm like, oh, I could sort of see how you could get from one to the other. But it's fascinating to me, because Gato struck me as... Well, you know, different. But I, I, I interesting. Yeah, he, he always struck me as less uh, photo referenced and less uh, realistic, I guess. Yeah, like a little imagistic, you know. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, and that that I I would say that's not the case in Black Hood. Huh. Interesting. Uh, it, it's it's much it, it, at certain points, especially his establishing shots of, of environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I feel that you know he's tracing photographs, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't not work, which is one of those double negatives. It sounds like damning his fame praise. Yes. But it's very, uh, very, like, it made me think, oh, it's Alex Maleev, as opposed to, it's Michael Gatiss. Mm-hmm. hmm Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so evocative of Maleev. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hmm that, that I, that, you know, instinctively I go there, as opposed to, I guess what I'm saying is, it feels a bit like he's lost his own voice in, in what he's doing in this issue. Right. Right. I, I mean, I sort of hope that, uh, sort of hope that sort of by choice as opposed to getting this gig and having people be like, boy, we sure hope that you can really bring that sort of, you know. <laughs> exactly. So we, we hired the wrong band as collaborator. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we thought you're the guy who does Daredevil, right? Oh, you're the guy who does Alias? Oh. Oh. Okay. You know, yeah. it's close enough. It's close enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you just draw a bit more like the guy who does Daredevil? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I don't know. Thinking thinking about it, I suppose considering it's sort of a superhero crime comic, and I'm being a lot more adventurous with picking up my first issues. There's a way in which part of me is like, oh, I wonder. You know, kind kind of part of me is like, oh, right. I sh- really probably should have picked this up. Like, I'm I'm almost surprised now that I didn't. Um, well, that that was just it. It seemed so very in your wheelhouse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I was like, well, of course, Jeff will have picked this up. But then I seem to remember you and I have talked about Dwayne Spazerski before and you weren't really on board. See, and I think that's it. That's it. I kind of looked at the name and I'm like, ah, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny. I keep meaning to try some of his actual crime fiction, but I mm-hmm. remember some of the stuff that I read, uh, both previous work for Marvel and DC left me a little on the cooler side. I just didn't I, really feel like I there was much agree. there. Mm-hmm. I would agree, but I really liked his bloodshot for Valiant. 
Mm, right. I, I, that's pretty much where I was like, oh, yeah, I'm actually kind of curious about Black Hood then. Because right. Bloodshot really turned me around for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I, I loved the first year of Bloodshot that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very playing against type for me. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, the Bloodshot concept is, is pretty much the definition of a non-Graham book. Yeah, for sure. You know, and so the fact that I was so... I love it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was like, okay, there's clearly something for this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 again, I'm not, I won't go too much into detail on Black Hood then, because I, I think, I think you should read it. I think you will like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel very much like both Spruzinski and Gatos have read Bendis and Malief's Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are, they're not trying to recreate it as such. Mm-hmm. But it's heavily influenced by it. Mm-hmm. Like, in, inescapably influenced by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think if you liked that run, you'll like this. And I think if you didn't like that run, there's not really anything to convince you to like this, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. Oh, no. You know, it's funny. Um, Bendis is such a... <laughs> Just reworking history with that. I don't, I'm trying to think. I was in the comic book store the other day and I'm trying to think how the topic of Bendis's powers titles came up. But I Wait, think. Do you mean the series powers or Bendis's superhero work? Uh, sorry, no. Bendis's uh, comic book title powers. Okay. Um, you know, and actually talking about a little bit of my frustration with. Bendis is the way that Bendis handled a lot of his uh, creatively owned titles. You know, that I was having this exact conversation on Sunday. Oh, were you? E- exactly with uh, a good friend of yours and mine that oh, will remain oh, nameless. Interesting. Okay. Uh, the phrase, and I didn't utter it; this other person did. Mm-hmm. But the, the phrase Bendis could have been Mark Miller, but he decided to be the corporate man. Yeah, was uttered. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's it is very much. I, I, there's there's really I don't think there's you know a a more plain way to put it. Unfortunately, and it, it'll be interesting to see in that sense. You know, when the Powers show debuts on the PlayStation Network, which do you know when that officially is, Graham? It is March tenth. Right. So right around the corner. Um, you know, see what kind of reaction it gets. I mean, it's certainly, I think, behind the eight ball in terms of being uh, widely accessible. But, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm very, very curious how the, the PlayStation, like the distribution model, more than anything else, is going to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, part of me is, I totally understand. Sony made it. Sony wants to sell the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Like, doing original content is, is a good way of driving an audience to that. And doing it with Bendis, who, and this isn't how they promoted it, but if it was me, it would be how they promoted it. I would have promoted it. Mm-hmm. The guy who's worked on all the Marvel movies. Yeah. And it's his own, it's work that he himself created and owned. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's how I would have sold the Powers TV show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, part of me is like, you're missing out on such a massive audience. What about the entire audience who'd be interested in this who doesn't own a PlayStation? Right, right. Yeah, no, I know, but uh, but I'm you know, but I imagine that's that's something they 
they took into account. You know what I mean? Well, like, I, 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 just, I mean, it's 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 one of those things that also I'm the same with. You know, the Amazon original shows. What about the people who don't have Amazon Prime who want to watch? You know, the the Man in the High Castle. Sure. But that's that's kind of beside the point. Like that's literally the opposite of what they want. They're they're hoping all oh, those people just sign up as opposed yes, to exactly we're we're cutting out yeah potential revenue yeah I mean the the idea is is that that yeah all these little mini platforms are emerging you know in this kind of what we're looking like very well could be the post television era in sight and so there's a lot of like. Very sort of small investments at the roulette table. I don't think there's not a lot of people. I mean, Amazon is the closest to sort of putting a big bet out there, but it's nothing like you know Netflix is doubling down. But well, if you think about it, Netflix is Netflix is the same thing. It's just that all of us have Netflix. Well, all of, Netflix yeah, is yes. exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's no, just no. It Netflix is. Netflix is far more ubiquitous. Well, exactly. But and but. And so Netflix came from – has a much stronger vested interest in trying to make sure that there are reasons to to keep all of us, you know, whereas I think in the case of these other places and these other people, you know, I'm sure Sony is kind of – it starts with powers, but if they find that there's, you know, enough of a if, – if they find that they can move the needle that way, you know, Sony has a lot of – um movie content and uh, some TV content that I'm sure they're like, well, you know, maybe we push the Sony television model as, as the way to make sure that people, you know, if people, if people want to see one of our stinky ass movies, this is how they're going to do it. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen, but everybody's kind of got, there's a lot of people who are at least anteing up. Let's put it that way. To, to yes. see, to see what the turn of, next turn of the cards are going to be. So, um, I, I was, when when did you jump on the watching Netflix shows bandwagon? Did you do it with House of Cards when it first started? I I didn't actually, and I I would have to say that um, I still haven't watched that. That I was I was like. First in line to see Arrested Development and pretty much staggered out of that, sort of frustrated and disappointed at, at the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a certain, you know, we watched the first season of Orange is the New Black, which I, I myself found to be, like, I went into it being like, oh, this is great, and came out of it the other end being like, uh, no more for me, thanks. You know? <laughs> you just don't like these things at all. Do you not like binge-watching? Is that what you're telling me? No, I, I think actually binge-watching is fine. I, It's just, um, well, I think there, for whatever reason, uh, there there's just, I, I'd like to think that each one of these has been little, um, there's there's always been its own caveats. You know, Arrested Development really, really tried to do some daring, daring new things. And the ways in which it – there were it, – but it, it also – arguably didn't succeed, I think is – Yeah, I think I think that probably or that, is – That's not true. I think it succeeded if you'd already bought in. I think uh, if you hadn't bought in hmm. – and by bought in, I, I don't just mean you were a fan of the show. Right. I mean – You'd bought into Arrested Development is great no matter what. 
Well, no, I don't. I mean that 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 does sort of put sort of a a, a blind fervor that some of the people that I I saw defending the whole experiment, I suppose, um, was. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to attribute to them. You know, I think for me, it was just a matter of there were, it wasn't just a case of breaking one or two rules in bring and busting out the, the Netflix season. You're or, like, if, if you break all of them. Yeah, there were just, there were so many of them. Um, and I think one of the things that is really hardest is, the when it was when it was on television the the people running be, the people in charge of the show the cast and the crew just had a for me a perfect sense of how far you could push a particular character in terms of their unlikability and still make them sympathetic and to me that pretty much went out the window by the time the arrested development show came now at, out on Netflix. Now I know that there was a lot of, a lot of people were like, well, no, that's precisely the point. Like the idea is that these people as terrible as they were together, if you take them apart are, are, are more terrible apart. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I found that to be unpleasant and, and uninteresting, you know, um, in, in pretty equal measure throughout a lot of it. So it was actually just kind of a, a gross experience. Orange is the New Black started out great, but I mean, Genji Cohen, I had the same experience watching Weeds, where her, um, how do I put it? Her thinly veiled, I won't go all the way to contempt, but let's say boredom with, um, television serial television storytelling became so problematic that by the end of first season of orange is the new black i was kind of like okay so you're going to simultaneously like give us give us conclusion you know finales but no finales like there there's just a, a constant um stream of Oh yeah, no, I can I can make you believe this. Oh, I can make you believe this. Oh, I can make you wait. You don't believe that? Well, that's okay. Nobody really believed that anyway. So let's go on to the next thing. And it's just kind of um, it's suspect. And then House of Cards, just frankly, it had such a good cast. But I, unlike the rest of the people that we know who are smart um, cinema aficionados, I don't entirely trust David Fincher, and I don't entirely subscribe to his worldview. So mm -hmm. there was just well, a little... I, I would argue the House of because I really like House of Cards, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think House of Cards is an especially Fincherian show. Mm. I mean, he directs maybe a couple of episodes and that's it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's well, but he was also kind of a producer behind it, and you sure, know, oh yeah, he's the executive producer. But yeah, yeah. I, I I feel it's more. It's uh, it's it's a show that actually is made to be binge watched. I think mm -hmm. it mo even more so than than um, Orange Is the New Black or what are the other shows? Lily Hammer, which I've never seen and have no interest in seeing. Right? Or Hemlock Grove, or or mm -hmm. uh, right. even Arrested Development, mm -hmm. um, because the the pace of the unfolding of the plot mm -hmm. and also the level of ridiculousness. 
of the schemes right <laughs> as you get towards the end of each season mm-hmm. uh ramp up to such a point where you're just like i've got to keep going this, <laughs> this is absolutely batshit insane i have to keep going right or at least that that was definitely my response because i uh when the first season came out i watched the first shit four or five episodes mm-hmm. in in one sitting mm-hmm. uh for wired because i was pretty much like reviewing it that day mm-hmm. um and i exhausted myself on it mm-hmm. and i didn't go back to it for weeks mm-hmm. because i was just like oh god <laughs> i've seen enough kevin spacey talking to the camera and being a bastard to do me for quite some time my friend right um, and I pretty much went back to it because it was nagging me on the Netflix list, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just like, you know, there it is. And I was like, oh, that, I should, uh, yeah, I should go back. Yeah, I, I should, I should probably, you know, it's, it's like having, and I don't know if you have this as well, comics that you are buying but not reading and they yes. pile up. Oh, and eventually yeah, totally. you're like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, I put six issues. I should right. really read that. Right. Um, so it was like that. Mm-hmm. And I went back fairly tentatively. Mm-hmm. And fairly, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I liked it, but it was kind of exhausting. And really quickly, I was, you know, three, four episodes in a row mm. going, what the fuck? Are, no, they can't. Holy <laughs> shit. They, they, they. <laughs> um, and it still has my favorite. I can't believe they did that. Uh, in the first episode of the second season. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just so like, I, if, if I thought you were going to, like, if you thought you weren't going to watch it, I guess, I would tell you now, because it's just one of those fun moments. Well, I think I've sort of generally heard someone someone ends up getting killed in a... Yes, yes. Some, someone ends up getting uh, murdered in a hilariously offhanded manner. Right. I mean, really, really, really offhanded. <laughs> um, and it's one of the main characters of the first season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, if the first season has, like, four main characters... It's one of those characters. Interesting. Um, and they they get murdered in the, the fairly early on in the second season, in the first episode of the second season as well. Like not even like a lot, you know, a last minute cliffhanger of the episode. Mm-hmm. And it, there's no mystery as to who did it because mm-hmm. you see the murder, mm-hmm. and it's so offhanded, but so comic <laughs> that it's it seems ballsy. That they actually went ahead and did it. See, you know what I mean? Like, and they didn't do, and it wasn't, you know, uh, who did it? Or, right. you know, and then the murderer is racked with guilt. Not at all. Right. right. So the whole thing is, is kind of played for laughs in such right. a way that you're like, holy shit, it's that show. I didn't quite realize right. this was that show. See, and that seems very, that's the part that seems very David Fincher to me, although I could be wrong. You know, the, the Fincher who has a very, very dark, sense of humor and uh, an even more bleak sense of humor, I think, about humanity, I think, you know, that runs through. Well, it's, it's true. House of Cards is an incredibly misanthropic show. Yeah. I mean, astonishingly so. Right. And that just may be the part where I'm like, I don't really have much of an interest. Although that being said, it's thinking about it, maybe I so just don't dig. conversation. In this, because normally I'm the one who's like, no, I want the emotional connection. I want the upliftingness. And you're like, no, it's saying such deep things about <laughs> man's humanity to man. So right. it's hilarious to me that we're having this conversation. Yeah, that and, it gets reversed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, th- what I was going to say is the flip side is maybe I'm just um, like your average American, just sh- brutally indifferent to politics, at least as it's played out in Hollywood. Like I've never watched – 
I think I've maybe watched an episode at most of West Wing, which I know you've watched. See, exactly. Well, multiple times. Mm -hmm. Multiple times I've watched the West Wing, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I can can safely say I've actually watched more episodes of The Sandbaggers than I did The West Wing. So, you know, it, it, it... And I think that that's just... I don't know. So... When it gets to binge watching or whatever, I, I do have to say I'm also the kind of person where, like, when we have something that we're catching up on, like a thing of, of Game of Thrones or something like that, I'm very much like, yeah, let's watch an episode a night, you know, maybe two episodes in a, a, a night if we're feeling out of control. Whereas ED is like, let's watch five. Let's watch all five. <laughs> we'll just go well, to bed what, at what? three, you know. Yeah. What's very funny is uh, for Wired, I keep writing these binge watch guides, mm-hmm. and the format is, you, you know, you're doing your introduction, and it's like number of episodes, mm-hmm. and then how long it's going to take to watch it if you're binging. Mm-hmm. And there have been people who have literally been like, you know, there's seventy episodes. You can do it in two weeks. <laughs> and I'm always like, like, so I just did. Uh, Star Trek Next Generation, which went on for like oh, seven Jesus. years. Yeah, exactly. And there was like 150, and I was like three months, because you're going to watch like two episodes <laughs> a night at most. Oh my god. Yeah, no, see, right, right. At, at most, and that's like with the understanding that you're you're not going to eventually be like, okay, enough fucking Star Trek. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, I, I don't know, it's just, it, I, part of it I, I think might be a little bit also of just kind of where I choose to put my time, which admittedly I spend more than half my day trying to figure out where exactly that is, you know, overall. Exactly. But where have I put my time? Yeah, Jeff, exactly. Exactly. But I know that, for example, uh, starting on February 21st, I read <clears throat> 52 chapters of the manga Fuka uh, on the Crunchyroll manga service. You know, Oh, I, I saw you tweet about that. Talk to me about that. <clears throat> I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I will happily talk about it. So Fuka was, uh, and I think it's it's worth mentioning that first, um, I had, before that, binge read close to 120 chapters of this manga that the, the translated title is, uh, And Yet the Town Moves. Um, and I'm going to completely mangle the Japanese. It's something like, uh, sorry, demo machi wa matariu. Um, it, it, it's a wonderful slice of life slash comedy manga about teenagers growing up in kind of a, a, a very sort of small urban center. Um, and it has just an absolutely fantastic main character in that, uh, Ostensibly, she's a maid working at a maid cafe, but it's it's not really a maid cafe. It's just a cafe where the the woman running it makes the co- workers dress up as maids. I guess you Wait, know. Hang on, hang on. What is a maid cafe? First of all, oh, and gosh. secondly, why is dressing up like a maid not enough to make it a maid cafe? Uh, good question. So uh, in Japan, like is, is, is this a thing that I just don't know about? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a thing you don't know about. And the great thing is, is we get to once again that that hilarious and all too infrequent uh, section of wait what known as Jeff explains manga tropes, in which Jeff, who doesn't really understand manga tropes, explains them to Graham, who well, doesn't it, understand no, them it's, at all. It's fine. I, I just set up Wikipedia and I've learned that maid cafes are a subcategory of cosplay restaurants found predominantly in Japan. 
I didn't even know there were cosplay restaurants. Yeah. In these cafes, waitresses dressed in maid costumes act as servants and treat customers as masters and mistresses in a private home rather than as cafe patrons. Yes. So Okay. So that's yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that is fascinating. Yeah. So uh, the 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 first little jolt of and yet the town moves starts with the the lead character who is kind of a uh, I guess sort of the manga equivalent of a, a manic pixie dream girl, uh, except the stories are mainly told from her point of view. She's clumsy, but, you know, vivacious and smart, but absolutely hilariously absent-minded, and it would be the world's worst maid if she was actually in a maid cafe. And one of the things that the, the author uh admits is that he never had visited a manga cafe before uh made cafe before he started writing this series and that idea i think you know sort of rebellious girl working in a maid cafe trying to keep her job gets thrown out the window so quickly that it's a weird it's a it's kind of a weird cosmetic aberration that sort of marks most of the series and how it, it it works because the series itself is a lot of gentle humor about disappointed expectations, I would say, running throughout it for hundreds of chapters. And I adored it. It was great. I dug all the characters. The storytelling is great. Unfortunately, I can't, you know, I've got my little database of, of titles that I've read, but I can't, I can't, I would have to hop to, to give you like the, the name of the author. Anyway, after I finished it, I was like, Oh my God, that was great. I want more like that. Well, there is not a lot more like that on Crunchyroll. <laughs> um, I, I read like six chapters of inside Mary, uh, which is a, um, uh, a Hikamoru who manages to body swap with the, girl at the convenience store that he sees from afar that he's in love with. Um, I read six chapters of a silent voice, which was a pretty grim, like it almost looks like it's a, one of those typical um, shonen manga in which the kid who's like a mischievous Hellraiser, uh, um, you know, again, sort of a kind of life force in the neighborhood who's kind of a little bit of a stinker but is a rebel with a good heart, is actually in the process of bullying a deaf girl uh, for the first five chapters of this manga. And I, I jumped off where it's the scene where they're in high school and he tries to confront her years later because, of course, in the course of acting out and bullying her he ends up alienating everyone around him and in turn ends up being the victim of rampant bullying for like four or five years. And uh, was it just not awesome? Um, so Fuka, by the time that I had lowered my sights to please God, just anything, Fuka starts off as sort of a um, high school romance, heavy on the panty upskirt in which the male lead who is uh, an introvert addicted to social media and posting on Twitter but can't seem to interact with anyone meets a crazy, outgoing, manic pixie dream girl uh, named Fuka who, um, you know, of course, as, as in all good romance comedies, suspects that he's perving on her and, and punches him 
you know, halfway across the campus. So, wait, so what you're saying in all good romance comedy, you mean in all good romance comedy mangas? Yes, sorry. Yeah. No, it would be great if all good romantic comedies actually started with somebody forcibly punching the other one. No, 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 no. But it, it does seem to be a staple as far as I can tell from the romantic comedy manga. So what happens is these two characters hang out. They're forced into various situations. You get the sense that Fuka's interested in the main character and begins the process of sort of drawing him out of his shell. He, by turn, is basically a good-hearted Joe and supports her and helps her figure out the dream that she wants to have because basically because she is the 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 child offspring of these amazing um track and uh field athletes uh, of course of course is basically being continually harassed by people to basically go into track and field and she wants to follow her own path whatever that is she doesn't know but it seems to involve a lot of her staring dreamily into the distance and listening to music so now i the great thing about reading like 20 volumes of bakuman and the the seminal classic even a monkey can draw manga is i have had so many layers of naivete ripped off of my eyes as far as how the manga industry works. Fuka definitely reads to me like this was uh, a, a manga creator, probably one with experience. And in fact, it turns out he created some other big romantic comedy that a lot of people loved. Kind of trying to hit his stride with like, a, oh, what do kids love? They love romance, but with lots of panty up shots. So... And then as time went on and the um, the ratings, the all-important ratings where all the manga are in the magazine are rated by readers, as it began to drop in the ratings, the creator's like, oh, uh, a romance manga? I mean, this is really a let's form a band manga. Because what happens is at one point... <laughs> Once, uh, but don't you wish that like American superhero comics could do that? Oh yeah, dude, I'm not even through yet because I have to tell you a few more things that go on. I mean, it is great. I mean, that is that thing of like somebody turns around and is and is like, hey, bad news, Green Lantern's really tanking in the ratings, and it's like, okay, let's make him. He's not a Green Lantern anymore. He's going to be a Dolphin Cop, you know. And it's it's okay. I think that I I do. The thing that's hilarious is. The manga machine is such a machine that you can have stuff like this come out of this system, and I I still have to admire it because of the the concept of you know something like DC where they're like, uh, we're going to do Batgirl, we're going to do Batgirl, we're going to do Batgirl, and then hey, eventually they're after doing 15, fucking prez. Yes, now they're doing prez <laughs> after how long? But you know what I mean? Like that's that kind of thing. Like. If if the manga and if the American comics industry had been run like the manga industry, there's a chance we would have had Prez like, you know, like back in 1994 or something like that. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, uh, I know, and, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So so suddenly it becomes a first. It, it was a romantic comedy with a romantic triangle that was slightly unrealistic. Then it becomes a like, hey, let's form a band. As Fuka realizes that it's her, what she wants more than anything is to become a musician and play the stage at Budokan. Um, and of course, the introverted guy gets dragged in to play the bass, and he's inept and no good. And meanwhile, of course, it just so happens that. 
all of the other supporting cast members in the manga all happen to be absolutely unbelievably exceptionally fantastic musicians anyway. So suddenly they're caught in this battle of the band situation where of course, like the, the biggest star in Japan is going to be there. And if that's not enough, the biggest star in America who is going through Japan sees all this stuff that's happening at this school and decides to go in with her bodyguards so that she can see the band play its first performance. I mean, it's like, it's, it, absolutely turns into the world's most it's kind of it's kind of if you took i don't know my so-called life and like at the end of the season they were like yeah we'll bring it back but only if you turn it into heroes you know what i mean so like all of a sudden it's like this bond manga there's lots of drama um and then it seems to mellow out for a while and then after a while you can tell the ratings start slipping because suddenly the romance is pushed to the front and the male lead has to choose between the love of his childhood friend, who is the one who happens to be the biggest recording star in Japan, or Fuka herself, who he loves but has never been able to say anything to. He finally confesses her love to her. Three chapters later, they, they learn to be like boyfriend, girlfriend, how do we look each other in the eye kind of stuff. Three chapters later, boom, she's dead, hit by a truck. Yes, they kill her off. You, I read the whole chapter being like, what is this, a dream sequence? What's happening? Oh, sure. Like, I really had that thing. Like, sure, try and fool me once. It, like, it is, it is really funny when stuff. you're like, they wouldn't do that. That's dumb. They and you, you spend yeah. an entire, like, or yeah. issue or, or whatever chapter of a story. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, okay. Okay, sure. Right. Yeah. Okay, right. Fine. Whatever. And then you have this little realization of, wait. Yeah. Did they actually do that? It is the holy shit they actually did it. And now the introvert kid is now a musician himself who is driven by the loss of his great love. And his desire now is to play on the stage at Budokan. And he's got to get the rest of the band together who have broken up after the girl who held them all together has died. And so it becomes this sudden like like we have to be the best band in the world manga fighting against all odds thing. And one of the best things going on about Fuka. Oh my God. Let me, I pray to God. I screenshotted it. Part of the things that's great is, is that the opening and closing pages have essentially the Japanese equivalent of Stan Lee, where he's like at the, at the end, at the end of each issue, and at the beginning, there are, like, these slogans. Like, at the end of this one chapter, right before Fuka ends up dying, but but they're, like, um, the, the two of them are, like, staring up at the sky and looking at, at a meteor shower together. And, it, and it's, like, and in the bottom corner squeezed is, this one moment feels like an eternity. That's how time feels when you're in love. Next week, a shocking development, starting with color pages. I'm, like, huh? So it's it's awesome stuff, you know. It's like chapters will end and the, the main character, is, whose name is you, like he'll get a hug from someone and the chapter will end with this big slogan printed on the side, you has become the center of Fuka's world and the autumn sky, but their feelings are one, like the moon. And I mean, it's just like the best. And then the chapters start off with slogans like, the gentle first snow shines on their future. So, you know, you've kind of got to love it, especially when it ends up with one of these characters then dying 
horribly, and the other person being a broken shell, who then, of course, meets uh, another magical musical woman whose name is also Fuka. And then, as if that isn't bad enough, the manga guy like ha- devotes a whole full chapter to how the two Fukas four years earlier both met on vacation. So, I mean, it's like this incredible desperate vamping just like anything anything that's going to stick like and one of the things that's delightful for me is i got to the chapter 50.5 of this and i'm like wait it just ends what happens it's being simultaneously published in crunchyroll as it's coming out in japan so like Chapter 51 launched this week, which, you know, is like the band got back together and they're playing like this desperate band challenge against another band who, of course, as in these Japanese battle mangas, is basically a differing, has a completely different philosophy that music is all about being popular. And, of course, this guy's like, no, music's all about expressing your feelings, which is always a great manga go to. Um, that I'm just a sucker for, but, uh, but of course they're, (laughs) they're losing this manga battle. And I'm like, this is fantastic because this is for the first time in my life. I am literally reading this stuff as it comes out and I can go online to see other people reading this manga completely lose their shit. And it's great. Like everyone is accusing the creator of the manga of basically trolling his readers, which is the best. And then apparently no one has an official source for it, but one of the people on the message board said that, you know, quoted from the supposed press release where the manga guy said that he was going to bring back the first Fuka as a ghost and start introducing supernatural elements into the series. And everybody's like losing their shit over it. And so, Graham, it's just great. Let me tell you, like, that's just like the the thing that's so ironic is I'm like, wow, this really isn't that different from the new 52 at all. Like, you know, I mean, it's just one series, but this guy's like. Next month, the snow shines on their happy convergence. You know what I mean? And then it's going to be some alternate universe where they're still together because that's what the readers want to see. And then it's totally great. And then there's going to be like an alternate timeline where this guy is like married to both of them, but they're dudes and he's a female. Like it's just whatever, whatever. Ultimately, with comics, um, what I do appreciate about manga is there's that desperate like, Jesus, what's going to stick and there's a lot of energy to that because there's a lot of pressure on the manga people. Whereas I, I do feel like, you know, it's like when you see like the latest press release that's like DC celebrating Vertigo's fifth year of utter torpor, you know what I mean? Like you're just kind of like, <laughs> that doesn't seem like something that I should really be that excited about, DC. You really think so? You know, it, it's it's just it's just a completely different worldview. So... So yeah, Fuka, man. Let me tell you, it's, it's what was great is midway through that, I was convinced you were going to say that it was terrible. Like you started off and then you you drifted off and you didn't like it. And when I realized that you were actually excited to basically embrace the dissatisfaction of the other fans in real time, <laughs> I I part of me is is impressed. A part of me wants to slap you. Well, I totally <laughs> like. Are you are you trolling the readers as well? Yeah. Like, what are you reading this now just to know what they're talking about when they're upset? Uh, no, 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 no. I I definitely got invested in this whole thing uh, at some point, and then of course once they killed her off, I was like, what the fuck? I mean, at that point, a, a completely different gear kicked in for me, and that gear is kind of like, oh. 
like I have enough of a concept of how the sausages are made that I'm sort of suspecting that, that I can sort of guess that someone got their sleeve cut in the machinery and somebody's arm is trapped in there, you know? And I, I, to me, there's just a completely different set of, um, I don't know, you know, of, of frustrations, you know, the thing that's great about manga is, is that I call them chapters, but really in counting them, they come really close to being the same length as your average comic book issue. They run between 18 to 20 pages and they come out every week. So the pacing is different, but at a certain point when I was trying to keep track of what I was reading, I realized it, it was technically fair to think of these chapters as it's issues. Know, yeah. And so there's part of me that's like, even though I can't really make the time to sit down and watch two seasons of House of Cards, I'm I'm delighted for the opportunity to read 51 chapters of this manga that I hoped was going to go somewhere, ended up going, like, zigzagging all over the map, like, you know, like a, a, a soldier trying to weave across a minefield, you know, and then finally... Just as you think they're out, they just step on that thing and you see them just get blown to smithereens. And it's, you know, it's, there, there's a, there's, I think there is something to be said for feeling like you know an art form enough that you can kind of sit there and, and enjoy it no matter what's happening, I suppose, you know? Um, similarly, I bought and read all four issues of Night Nurse, which I'm kind of in the process of trying <laughs> to write about. You know, you're like, I bought it all. That's, that's something that, um, not many people can say these days, I feel. That's right. Yeah. Almost nobody seems to be willing to say it. But yeah, no, I did back during Marvel's, uh, buy one, get one. Buy one, sale, get one free. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized that I'm like, oh, wait, I can get all four issues of, uh, Night Nurse and it comes out to 99 cents an issue. Sold and sold, my friend. I would not hesitate to buy Night Nurse. Uh, if it was in a ninety-nine cent sale, you betcha. Okay, well, here's a, here's a question then. Yeah, you or you said you're writing about it, so I'm not going to ask you to go in depth, but I will ask this: now that you've read them all, would you do that again? Uh, would I? Which part would I do again? The the buying it, or the reading? The buying. See, as you it, know, now, you, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now that you have, I mean, it's not as if you've not bought things seventy-two times. That's right. In a row. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how many... I think we should let the <laughs> listeners know. How many Kindle versions of Watchmen do you own, Jeff? Uh, more than one, but less than three. <laughs> yeah. I think that says it all, but... Oh, no, it doesn't, Greg. Because you, <laughs> you didn't ask me how many, how many digital versions of Watchmen oh, I, I no, actually I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have quite a few. Yeah. Because, I mean, I actually own two versions for the Kindle, uh, although, in my defense, I think one of them was 99 cents. But uh, I, I believe I also own it for iBooks, and I believe I own all 12 issues on Comixology. So, you must really like that comic. You know, you like, would think, really, right? Really, really like that comic. Because how many print versions do you have? Uh, none of at least one. Oh, oh yeah. I, and no, I, I'm uh, guessing two. My, uh, well, if you're talking about how many I own now, I'm going to say I think I only own two. But at okay. one how point, how you bought it? How but yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, okay. First off, Watchmen is not the right thing. 
entirely oh, that's no, a no, I, loaded no, question. You know I, what I mean? But it's just that we, we started with Watchmen. I know you have bought multiple things multiple times. Yes. No, no, no. I and, I and and believe me, I'm totally happy to own up to my own shame. I'm just saying that this Watchmen's a little bit different because I'm sure I'm not the only person who's had the experience of you have a copy of Watchmen. You lend it to someone, you never oh, get sure. it back, and then you just turn around and buy it. You know what I mean? That's if, – if Night Nurse had like an auto lend option to where I lent it to someone and then I never got those copies back, would I go back and rebuy those copies again? I don't know. But that, – and- that's, that's what I was asking. Like yeah. now that you've read them, uh, I guess what I'm asking is are they worth 99 cents each? I think they are worth ninety nine cents each, and and I'm willing, considering considering how many comments I get on my written post, to actually blab about most of it here. Um, in part because I feel like I'm just no, 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 no. Save it for the written post. I want to read your written post, Jeff. Uh, Graham, no, you don't. So anyway, yeah. I I, I, yes, do I do feel thanks I, very much. Okay, for, uh... I I think I think again. Night Nurse, the four issues of Night Nurse are least worth reading. Let's put it this way. There was a lot of stuff in the BOGO sale. uh, I did not get to the level of crazy. The only time I got to the level of crazy in the BOGO sale or before was, remember when Comixology had that Howard the Duck sale? I had to physically restrain myself from buying those copies at 99 cents an issue. Despite the fact that I had them in print, I have... The Omnibus, and all of those issues are available through Marvel Unlimited, which I currently have a subscription for. You know, that's and, see, that's mm-hmm. that's getting close to a sickness. Jeff. Yeah, no, I totally admit it, and I I do have that is a sickness that I have. There are some people who know, like I I mailed out. In fact, in fact, uh, God bless uh, Andrew Bear. Uh, probably has a very good idea of. Um, my sickness are, because are, are you the, are you the origin point of the Doctor Who magazine? That you I am, I am, yeah, exactly. Because I, I couldn't tell if he was literally just telling us or not. Yeah, sorry, I should have explained. Yeah, yeah, I I should explain, listeners. Andrew Bear um, tweeted at Jeff and I saying, "I have a 1981 Doctor Who magazine," and that was it. There's no context, yeah. and I didn't know that if he had that because Jeff had given him that, <laughs> or if he was just telling us because he knows so. that. Like I grew up in Doctor Who, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Graham. I was trying to. Um, for those who are interested, you may be you may be encouraged to know uh, when you contribute uh, at the Patreon level of twenty dollars or more, where we give you an awesome, amazing, absolutely fantastic tote bag. Um, I make it a point when I mail you that tote bag of including some extras in there, and those extras usually take the form of what stuff has Jeff bought in triplicate. So, so, <laughs> so what we're saying, people, is you can expect copies of Watchmen in there. Yeah, it's it, that that that's actually a perfect example. That's a that's a perfect example. The chances of, but like I I think um, somebody got my you know uh, color trade of um, Captain the Captain America trade that reprints the color issues and bicentennial battles. You know. Um, I think I then to Andrew, he actually got a copy of the uh, the volume of the Captain America Essentials that contains those Kirby issues. Um, That's know. true. How many times have you bought the Kirby Captain Americas? It's, uh, this 
three times. I mean, if you count if you count the fact that they're accessible on Marvel Unlimited and and you include that in in as a reason to subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, I, then like four times. I have the individual okay. issues. I, I thought it would have been more. It almost. I, I thought it would have been the individuals and the omnibus and the trades and the essentials and possibly digitals and Marvel Unlimited. Uh, well, actually, okay, Marvel Unlimited. So that's five. I don't didn't buy the I didn't buy them in digital. But now that I think about it, I did at one point buy most of those issues again. I think on eBay when I didn't have access to my like I rebought the Ankleheart uh, Kirby cap, caps way back when. When I didn't a have single access issues? to my entire collection, yeah, single issues. So, and then I got my collection back, you know, in one place. So I think I might have duplicates on most of those issues. I'd have to go and look. So it probably is six times. It's twice in, you know, twice in individual copies, omnibus trades, uh, essentials, and then yeah, through Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, Jeff I have to say, yeah, this really Jeff has Lester. taken a shameful turn. This episode, this really, <laughs> well, okay. really is. I want to, I want to turn it away, but pivot on what we're talking about. Uh, Andrew Bear told us that we should read Legion. Yes, that's right. Did you have a chance to read Legion? Because listeners, here's my secret, James. I've been promising to send Jeff those since you may remember. I promised a month ago that yeah. we'd be talking about this. And when did I send Jeff the issues? Oh, that's right, on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Or was it Tuesday? It was Tuesday no, night. It was, it was Tuesday okay. night. It yeah. was Tuesday night. I was like, motherfucker. You know? <laughs> also, I have to admit, I've only had time to read six. Oh, really? Okay. Because yeah. I, I power read through the first 12. But, yeah. But um, I, I, I super want to. I, okay. Let's do six this time and six next time. Okay. Uh, if, you could, if you can do that. Yeah. Um, because I really want to talk to you about them because I haven't read these comics in a while. Mm-hmm. And I've read this particular burst of issues multiple times for multiple reasons. I read them when they came out because I am a big Legion fan. Right. Uh, And that was in 1989 uh, because he asked us to read the first year of the five years later Legion of Superheroes run. Oh, he asked us to read the first year? Okay, great, great. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Which is by Keith Giffen and Tom and Mary Beerbaum and... Uh, Al Gordon yes. on inks, yep. and occasionally writing the story as well. Yeah, yeah. Al, um, Al Gordon gets a co-plotting credit more often than He not actually, later on in the run, uh, does full writing. Yeah, yeah. As well, which is interesting. But um, So I read them when it came out in 1989, and I actually, this is complete nostalgia, I bought the first issue on the first time I was in America. Oh, wow. Uh, my family did a vacation to uh, Florida mm-hmm. in 1989, Wow. And uh, we went to a comic store and I bought that. Mm-hmm. I bought uh, George Perez and Marv Wolfman's The New Titans, where Deanna, uh, Donna Troy, that's her, yes. uh, becomes Troyer for the first time. Wow. And uh, also Green Lantern issue 200. Can we pause here for a second or no? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. no. Hi. <laughs> Hang on, we okay. will pause. I, yeah. I, can we actually go dog? Because I'm going to go see if there's someone at the door, which is by the bar. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I'll wait. Okay, okay. And I'm back. Hey, you are back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. They'll probably start barking again. But um, so yeah, so I bought um that Legion issue. Mm-hmm. I got the uh, I think it was issue 56 of the New Titans mm-hmm. with with George Perez, and that is that is my dog Gus howling. By the way, in case you heard that. Um, with George Perez and Marv Wolfman 
doing the first uh, appearance of Troya. Mm-hmm. And Green Lantern issue 200, which was a back issue at the time, but I was that fucking into wow. Steve Englehart and Joe Staten yeah. doing uh, Green Lantern Corps that I was like, issue 200, it's got a, a Walt Simonson cover, yes! <laughs> and I bought it, and I didn't know that like that issue is maybe... Part percent reprint or something? Or? No, but it's like part five of a five-part story. Oh, Jesus. And, and it, it's one of those things that like only makes sense if you read the earlier issues. Oh, and I totally didn't know that. And I was like, wait, I have no idea what's going on at wow. all. Because it's, you know, Hal Jordan isn't Green Lantern anymore. And he's going to, is he going to take up the ring or not? And I was like, wait, what? What is, go- what is going on here? I, I don't get it. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I read the Legion issue back then. Right, and I stayed with it, stayed with that series for maybe four issues, mm-hmm. and then bailed because uh, I'd been a big fan of the Levitt's Legion, mm-hmm. and I was like, "It's a new issue one. This will be great." And it was, it was not was that what I was expecting at all. Yeah, and I just, I just didn't get it, and I, I bailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I read it years later mm-hmm. uh, because Andrew Bear was like, "No, it's great. It really is great. You should read it." And I read it, and then years after that. Uh, I read it because Douglas Walk yes. is a big fan of it as well. Right. And Douglas Walk at maybe a San Diego? It was definitely some comic convention we were both at. Mm-hmm. Basically got the first 12 issues, maybe 10 issues, mm-hmm. for like $2. Wow. <laughs> I literally just pressed it into my hand and was like, when was the last time you read this? And I was like, oh, it's got to, you know, it's a few years and he's like, you've got to read it. <laughs> We're both waiting for the dogs. No, no, no. Hang on. I'm just going to close them out because okay. I think they're just going to bark at this. So. I think so. What you keep missing because I keep putting you on mute is me shouting at the dogs. Oh, see, that would be the best. And because I, I never shout. I mm. only ever shout at the dogs. Like, I never get mad. Yes. And so I, I think it would be very – because it actually disturbs Kate when I shout at the dogs. Oh, really? Huh, yeah, because I don't shout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's the only way I can make myself heard. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, so I've read these a lot. Right. So I, I, I really, like, I've read I've read these issues a bunch of times. And yet still, reading them this time around, I was like, that first issue is great. I'm mm. so on board. And then the second issue, I'm like, it's already going off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have that feeling? Because I, I was also reading and thinking, like, I know the Legion. Right, and if I didn't know the Legion, I think this would confuse the shit out of me. And mm-hmm. you're not a big Legion of Superheroes fan, are you? I'm not. I'm not. I'm. So I'm... Did, did this even make sense to you? Uh, it barely made sense. I continued to to push through, um, <laughs> in part because because you did give it to me on Tuesday night, and <laughs> I was like, "Son of a bitch!" You know, it was that idea of like, "I've got to get through twelve of these sons of bitches," and by the time issue. <laughs> Rerolled around. Um, there, what what happens is, you know, they they sort of apologize on the letters page of issue three or issue four, like, oh, sorry, we're supposed to have a what has come before on the letters page that is supposed to help you. Like, if I had had that on the, the on the second issue to explain what had happened on the first, that would have been a huge help. Would have been a huge help. Um, Instead, I really got to the first six issues of the Five Years Later Legion is really interesting to me in that it seems a 
it, it, it seems to be just sort of perfectly placed in its time and place as both a um, reacting against current trends that are happening at the time in comics and actually a catalyst for other things that go on to happen. Like I, I definitely know that from this point in 2015, the idea of flash forwarding a few years into the future to drop in as a reboot. Yeah. Yeah. And using it as a reboot, but also essentially then being able to tell your story in two different directions at once, uh, is, I, you know, happens, happened with lost happened with parks and recreation, you know, I feel like it happens a lot. You see it happening a lot in TV, and it seems like a very common sort of trick that that people rely on as soft reboots in in comic series. Like I remember, oh, very much. Like yeah. I, I, right now, for uh, Avengers is really leaning hard on that with its mm-hmm. time runs out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there's there's a way in which I'm like, oh, okay, this is. It's fascinating seeing something that becomes such a trope happen at a point where, admittedly, my memories of the era are shaky, but it's not. (laughs) Hold on, Graham. Yes. Sorry. Did you hear that? No. Okay. That's great. Suddenly somebody started talking to me in Spanish. While piano music played in the background, and I think I th- I'm assuming it's because I had a fucking browser window <laughs> open to bleeding cool, no. which after yeah, like no, 45 no, minutes that was that was hilarious. No, literally, you were talking, and then all of a sudden, you just started laughing. Oh, okay, good. Well, that's great. Everyone's like, I knew Jeff was high. Um, so so I really want to talk about to me, and it's it's funny that we brought it up two or three different times, but I'm fascinated to the way to which in my imagination the five years later Legion is a I I Watch want reaction. Yes, exactly. Oh it's it's very clearly Keith Giffen has read Watchmen. Yeah. Uh it it in formats alone. Never mind mm-hmm. content, but you can definitely make an argument for content as well. But it's given all of a sudden everything is in a nine panel grid. Right. And there are text pieces that are in universe text pieces yes. that are nonetheless integral to explaining what is happening within the narrative. Yeah, exactly. I, so, I, I mean it is very clearly mm-hmm. given looking at Watchmen and thinking, I wonder if I can do that to the Legion and I wonder if I can do that for a continuing narrative, not closed narrative. Right. Right. And the answer is no. Yeah, the 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 answer is and this is the thing that I think is fascinating is is that I feel that Legion, you know, we had sort of started to complain <laughs> there were so many topics that we I think we started and abandoned so in in our first hour of talking and the idea of Bendis as the guy who decided to be a company man um rather than really just double down betting on himself and going for it. Um, I think finds a very strange mirror in Keith Giffen. Although Giffen has stepped outside the framework of regular, you know, work for hire for, for the majority of the time he's, he's put himself pretty much right in the thick of it. And I think one of the things that I find fascinating about how five years later, Legion is Giffen working with uh, uh, 
trying to figure out things to do, like with that Watchmen format, like in an open-ended format. He's also working through his influence and or just swiping outrageously from the work of uh, Minos and Sampoyo, uh, particularly Sinner, um, where I think the the comic journal notoriously busted him on it. Oh, it's and it's it's hilarious because he's doing it as this, he's like he's doing it an ambush book. Yes, do you know what I mean? It. Which yeah. is like mm-hmm. the least appropriate comic to do that in, and it's fast. Especially if you go back and read the um, the showcase reprint, the black and white reprint of it. Right. There's something about that that makes it like all the more obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean there there is. It's like it it's obvious that it's in his work. It's obvious that it is. Um, I don't know. It's Giffen is trying to do something that is very, uh, very different. Hold on. From kind of what you would expect, because on the one hand, he is literally taking his cartooning and squeezing it down. Like, I almost feel like Giffen at this point is kind of going through a, a very strange, like, imagine you were a guy who, like, grew up, you know, reading Jack Kirby and learning how to ape his style and breaking into comics and trying to figure out your own style. And at some point, like having no other really form of comic book um, influences other than the superhero stuff coming at you all the time, you suddenly start thinking like Kevin Huizenga. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I really feel like Giffen, it takes – He's moving – he actually moves beyond what I would think of as the traditional end point in cartooning, which is a lot of cartoonists begin reducing their line and playing with the amount of information and expressiveness that they can pack in into as, as few lines as possible. And I feel like Geffen actually goes beyond that and is really working on the amount of information that he can impart in his comic book stories um, and his cartooning, but to the point, to the point where your cartooning were like, you're barely, it struck me the number of times where I'd gone like long number of pages in five year later, where I was like, I don't even remember looking at the panels. I must've looked at the panels and going back <laughs> and being like, Oh, holy shit. Like there's a few times where, I mean, unlike, Unlike sort of the relentless kind of formalistic um, playing out of possibilities of the nine panel grids permutations in Watchmen, Giffen keeps such a tight leash on what he's doing with that nine panel grid. It's purely I'm it's it's about how much information can I carry in this and the thing that stuns me about five years later from a formalistic standpoint is how much every page stands as its own unit and carries the Mac. It, like how much information can you press into one page using a nine panel grid? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's really fascinating, especially from a guy who, as time goes on, you cannot tell because Giffen has these things of like, does he, is he like, if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, how do you explain a page where it's the same panel photocopied 
you know, 11 times. How, how do you deal with a page where supposedly it's about his, you know, information, you know, when he's got an establishing shot that's repeated at the top and bottoms of each page and are clearly, again, just reworked, you know, like there is something where I feel like if there was something like the internet back then and, and Keith Giffen had like a Tumblr where he could like blather on and on and on about how he was like trying to like push the static nature of comics as a way to maximize informational output you know, we'd all be like, oh, okay, this guy's pretentious and up his own dick. But <laughs> but I believe that he's doing it. But, like, I honestly – there are pages in five years later where I'm like, I cannot honestly tell when Giffen is trying to innovate and when he's just trying to hack it out and make the deadline. And honestly, I oh, think he doesn't know. Yeah. I think that he's always trying to innovate. Mm-hmm. I think that he's not always successful, and I think that sometimes his uh, quote-unquote innovations are dead ends. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he is – I'll rephrase that. I don't think in these issues mm-hmm. he is at the point where he is trying to hack stuff out to meet the deadline. Mm-hmm. I, later on in this run, yeah, uh, yeah. things go hideously mm-hmm. off balance. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, the five-year-later – narrative has to be considered a failure Mm -hmm. Um, because given and it happened really early like I would say like I said I made it through like issue 6 or 7 but like by that point he's already lost control of the narrative but but he loses control of the narrative to such an extent Mm -hmm. later on that it's it's jaw dropping yeah well and I mean it is it's a it it goes on to be it, uh, you read those first five or six issues and you're like, oh, okay, this is definitely Giffen, Giffen carrying the ball. But the more you read like the letters pages, the more the, the work in the later six issues has other artists in it, the easier it becomes to believe that Tom and Mary Bimbaum are, is it Beer Bomb? Beer Bomb. Beerbaum are carrying. Bimbaum was great though. Right, God damn it! I was like, I, why do I have a blank screen open? Why do I have to guess now? Um, you know, are 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 more in charge than you might think. And it's fascinating to me. The letters pages have a lot of corrections in terms of the credits boxes. Every other issue are being corrected. Where it's like, oh no, you know that the credit box should have read. Keith Giffen assisted with the story. Tom and Mary Beerbaum were the people who plotted the story and wrote the script, as opposed to yeah. vice versa. So there's a- there there is a point, uh, and really close after this, like maybe sixteen mm-hmm. issue sixteen or so, uh, like Giffen just disappears entirely mm-hmm. for like three or four issues. Right, entirely. He's not even uh, plotting. Uh, and it, it's clear that uh, you know it, it something has gone wrong. He's yeah. he's overcommitted, or you know, he, the editor was like, "You have to get this together," or right. or something, because he just goes, and then when he comes back, all of the the verve of these issues, because they are, if nothing else, stunningly ambitious. Oh yeah, um, all of that's gone. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, okay, so here's the thing that I think is interesting: is the first six issues, especially though, there's a one-two punch there of issues four and five that are amazing to me because issue. Oh, f- that issue four is the yeah. So issue four and f- four and five, and this is why Douglas Wolk loves these these issues, by the way. Yeah. Um, features not just one but two recreations of the universe, like reboots. Yeah. Of yeah. the universe. Uh, which is is really ballsy, yes. But what comes out of it on the other end mm-hmm. is the problem, right? You know, it's it's interesting. In some ways, it sort of reminds me of uh, of the reboot of Star Trek. You know, the the first film that showed up with Chris Pine and Zachary mm. Quinto, and mm. you know, directed by our friend J.J. Abrams, where two thirds of the way through the first Star Trek movie, there is a very explicit shout out to tying it into the old timeline and making all of this stuff, you know, yeah, count. And at that point it had already for me earned enough goodwill that I was like, Oh sure. Whatever. I guess that's an okay Easter egg, but you know, but, but, it kind of didn't need it, you yeah, know? Yeah, you don't need to do that. Yeah, and so uh, there's a way in which part of me is like issues four, five, and then what proceed from six on are, on the one hand, trying to solve a number of problems that are created in the wake of Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, and John Byrne's hold on Superman continuity and what have you. To, to solve those problems with Superboy and the Legion and set it up in sort of a mega epic story that makes it count to the earlier piece and then – but also allows them to have the cake and eat it too in terms well, of just, bringing in new characters. You it, know? But it's just like what Giffen does is – the way he gets there is ballsy. Mm-hmm. But it's also needlessly bringing up just – a fucking horrible continuity. Like the the Legion continuity by that point was right. uh, a mess. Mm-hmm. Burton came into Superman and basically said, "There's no more Superboy." Right. Which invalidated Legion continuity because yeah. Legion continuity is explicitly based on Superboy existing. Yes. Levitz clearly was like, "Wait, what the fuck? I think you've just undone my comic, which yeah. is still around." Yeah. Um, and so Bernan Levitz did a crossover, which then says, no, there's a pocket universe created by the Time Trapper. Yes. Which Bern then goes out of his way later to fuck around with again. Mm-hmm. Which is where Supergirl came from by saying, oh, that pocket universe, it got entirely fucking destroyed. Mm, Jesus Christ. Um, so at that point, con- Legion continuity is just a disaster. Right. It is is radioactive right? and Giffen instead of just ignoring it which is what Levitz did mm-hmm. <laughs> Levitz pretty much was just like I'm not going near there again right let, let's let's never mention it Giffen in his new series like four issues in yes pretty much devotes an issue to okay this is what's happened yeah and it's it's Again, ambitious, but seems horribly misguided. <laughs> and I say that as a Legion fan. Right, right. So here's the thing that's actually kind of one of those weird deals of stuff where a fan reads it and is like, 
oh, this is great, but a newbie is going to find this terrible. Wait, wait, did, did you not have any of that? Were you just like, I have no idea what's going on, and it's great. Well, it, you know, honestly, it was one of those situations where I was fascinated, sort of the way that, the you know, the surrealists had created, you know, talk about the bicycle as being the surrealist version of a leg, you know. There was a way in which I'm like, reading issue four, I was like, holy shit, like, Legion has become the hard science fiction novel that it almost always pretended to be and convinced nobody that it was. Because at that point, by the time that you have characters explaining explicitly why they had to create their timelines, why they created the entire Legion and all this stuff is a way to counterbalance this other great force that had been shaping up in the, um, the universe, which is more Drew. And I'm like, as someone who's not followed the Legion, I'm like, I don't know to what extent they're pulling this out of their ass. I don't know to what extent this was, you know, like I have vague memories. I know enough to know that like, you know, burn caused the Superboy invalidation, and I remember the Time Trapper justification. But this goes into so much more length, and I'm like, I have no idea if this is coming from the rest of Burn of uh, Levitz's run, or if this is strictly like, you know, Geffen and the beer bombs just like double downing on the nerdity and being like, okay, no, this explains everything. And and there is a little bit of this idea of like. To me, it's like, okay, so we're four chapters in. There's a there's a little bit of that um, feeling that, that Morrison talks about wanting to recreate, of that idea of, like, suddenly you're in a comic book and it's like being inside the TARDIS. You know, it's just, it feels immensely huge and it stretches on forever and you want to run around and explore and yet you're not entirely sure the extent to which it's also all in an, an optical illusion. You know, mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. Honestly, there is a stage in which, like, it's not my cup of tea, but it was sort of the same way that, like, Tolkien has never been my cup of tea. But I remember having those moments, like, probably about 300 pages before I quit reading, before I was like, I was like, oh, right, this this feels like this big, expansive world, and there is enough, um, there's enough thought and and not just thought, but, you know, ridiculous cross-hatching of thought that you could almost believe that this is a gigantic, organic thing, um, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that half the characters' names are blue broppy. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's... That, that was something else I wanted to ask. So, uh, Legion of Superheroes characters have dumb superhero names, and it's something that I find very charming. Right. You know, you have, you know, Element Lad or, mm-hmm. you know, Cosmic Boy. I find that charming. However, their quote-unquote real names are even weirder. Are even it's, weirder it's and Rock Brin. Yeah, yeah. There's just and, – and again, there's that idea of – for me, who, who is at a stage where I'm very unapologetic about – goofy comics as you can tell from hearing me rant about fuka for 15 minutes so part of me is like if it's fucking sun boy just call him fucking sun boy especially since your your other option is yeah rock brin or whatever no, you no, know no, sun boy is dirk morgana get oh, it right jesus fucking christ no, exactly exactly I mean. no but that's just it mm-hmm. it it really is their names are 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 
I have a thing with Star Wars, and I think I've said this before, that I, in the same way that I can totally read, like, Star Trek spinoffs, mm-hmm. and that's fine, I can't read Star Wars spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Because the goofiness of the names mm-hmm. derails me every single time. Right. Every single time. Right. Like, Han Solo, Atlanta Calrissian, I can deal with that because, like, I was five when I first heard mm-hmm. those names. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, there, there's a, an inbuilt... You just believe them. But then you get this, you know, you're reading the spinoffs and it's like, it's whatever. You know, what are the Dash, Dash Rend- da- I was going to say, like Dash da- Rendar yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Dash Rendar or, yeah. or all those names. And I, I just, like, my brain is just like, nope. Yeah. Nope. No more. No, we're, we're good. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. And no matter how good the story is, I honestly am always fighting against it. Right. And for me, Legion is something where... I have the nostalgia, and so I'm like, sure, Dirk Morgana and Rock Brin, you know, Reap Daigle, that's, that's Camille Boy's name. Reap, Reap Daigle, man. I, and I'm like, I you know, that. sure, but, but when you stop and think about it, and this series makes you stop and think about it, because it's oh, the yeah. only names they fucking use. Exactly. Um, you really are like, wait, I'm supposed to be taking this seriously as a political narrative. Right. And the main Machiavellian player is an orange guy with antennae called Reap Daigle. Yeah. But, but okay, so again, this is my thing. Is is like, there, I've never been like a hardcore science fiction or fantasy guy, but there are people who are perfectly happy to like rattle off those names, you know, in their, their favorite quadruplex or whatever. And I, you know, I, or, or, um, eneology or whatever, however many volumes of, of fantasy novel or science fiction novel you want to get up to in one, one story cycle. But I, you know, part of me was like, uh, the name, those names bugged me. And part of me was like, just fucking call them chameleon Lad or sun boy or, you know, yeah, did, exactly. You know, just, just, just double down on it. You know, um, the thing that I thought was fascinating to me, one, and this is like completely, uh, just an aside to our narrative is I'm fascinated how Mark Wade starts off as editor of this book and then is gone by issue four. And then, so Wade has technically been intimately uh, entwined with two separate reboots of the Legion of Superheroes. And oh, three. Is there a third that he did as there's, well? There's, uh, there's, <laughs> when the beer bombs, cause Giffen goes before the beer bombs do. In mm-hmm. the series. Right. And Beer Bombs basically disappear around the time of Zero Hour. So we're talking like 94, five years into the this, this series. Right. Um, and Wade is the writer of the of What Follows. Uh. And that, that, that is explicitly a reboot of the, the team. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So he's he's in there for like three different reboots. Um you know the the last of which is more or less undone right before his very eyes. So this this is a guy who's just not had you know good luck with the Legion. I'm fascinated by the fact that he leaves at issue around issue four and issue five, which is the alternate reality. Again, just this very totally does a fantastic job of being like lost, except twenty years earlier. You know where it's like timeline has been undone here's the new timeline and the new timeline that exists in which you see all these various characters basically jockeying and backstabbing one another underneath the watchful 
quasi-benevolent but formerly horrible idea, uh, Eye of Mordru, is basically like Wade comes back and takes so much of that for Empire. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Like you have one of the dudes of the Fatal Five, um, the guy with the great, you know, the the dark head and the blue flame, you know, running around as a count or a baron or whatever, like trying to figure out, like, you know, doing all the working behind the scenes for all these different factions. And I'm like, this, this is really like, this really must've made an impression on Wade because, and I I don't mean, I don't mean it. But but again, we're talking about uh, tropes from this series invented, or at least were using when they were not popular, when they were uncommon. Oh yeah, and and this that that particular issue, mm-hmm. which is essentially uh, the Time Trapper is killed by Monel in issue four, mm-hmm. which undoes the entire timeline. So it's, it's an alternate timeline. It's Age of Apocalypse, like five years before the Age right. of Apocalypse. Right, it's Age of Apocalypse. Well, and Age of Apocalypse and... then mm-hmm. became like House of M or Flashpoint right. and all those yeah. things. Yeah. And it's it's weird going back to these stories now. Mm-hmm. And seeing, as you said, how Giffen predicted, for, like the pop culture of the next twenty years or the comic culture of the next twenty years. Yeah, exactly. I in mean, in it's... such a weirdly offhanded manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that that issue, like that redone timeline, is finished by the end of that issue. Yes. No. It's just one issue, and then it reboots things, and then it goes on to the two issues end up feeling. <laughs> remarkably digressive, which is one of the weaknesses, I think, to the the way that things are structured. By the time you buy into it, by the time those storylines kick in, they more or less shove to the side everything that I had just learned to understand. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very weirdly structured run because yeah. you have three issues at the start, which is pretty much like here's your main players, here's where they are, here's their task. Yeah. Then you have issue four. Out of nowhere, here's these three other important players we've not never mentioned in the series before. Yes. Yeah. Um, they're going to, in the space of this issue, destroy reality. Mm-hmm. Reality will be reborn in the next issue. Yeah. That reality will then be destroyed in the same issue. Yes. And what follows that is another reborn reality, yeah. which is pretty much the first reality you're reading, but also different in ways in which we are not going to explain. Right, right. So there's a very strange um, – I don't know. It's it's funny to me that there is like – that the first 12 issues, or at least I would say the first seven or eight issues end up feeling like crazily ambitious people with a, a sev- crazy love for the material trying to – um, basically tripping over their ambition and instead of creating a coherent reboot, end up just creating this amazing, ungodly mess that honestly, for me, I, for the first six issues or seven issues, I basically bought into because the way that it is being because it because of the narrative gambits in a way the the sequential storytelling by working on that tight nine panel grid 
by having dialogue show up just in captions that's filling you in with information that's layered on top of other visual information on top of text pages in the back that fill you in on shit that has already happened or sheds insight and scenes that you've just read. There's a little bit of this idea of like, oh, okay, but it's all going to a specific place. You know, there is that idea of like, once you play with the past and the future as being the points of your narrative, you're kind of like, okay, this is the point of the narrative. Like the way in which Watchmen ostensibly the, the sins of the past do end up theoretically explaining what happens in the present narrative and point to the way that the future is going to resolve itself. But, but they don't have that. They've got an open-ended game here, mm-hmm. you know, which, which is, is one year miniseries reboot, which is the problem yeah. ultimately, because for all that Giffen has an, I seems to at least in the first issue have a very clear idea about where he's going mm-hmm. as early as the second issue. Mm-hmm. You cease to believe it, or at least I did. Mm. The first he, issue, I think, is incredibly strong. I think mm-hmm. it's a really, really, really great first issue. Mm-hmm. And all of the momentum and all of the intent, and again, that may be me as a reader as opposed to what is actually present in the work, but I, mm-hmm. what I read as intent um, feels dissipated mm-hmm. as early as the second issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's funny because as someone who was not following along, part of me is like I I felt like, you know, because I was entirely in the dark for issue one and then two pieces sort of start to come together. I have a little bit of that idea of like, oh, it's you know, it's like I don't know, it's like the the watch all coming together. Like so, okay, all these pieces are falling together. But then when you get to somewhere just as soon as issue seven or eight and it's like you know, the Legion is being, you know, hunted by an intergalactic serial killing fop. I'm like, uh, this is where we're going. You know, like it really does become this case of like, oh, no, it's just it's just a comic book. Like by the and when but when you bring in particularly <laughs> it's just when, a comic book. when you bring in really early work by Chris Sprouse or by Paris Collins, I want to say, who pops up yeah. again. Chris Sprouse's early work is is super weird because it's very readable as Chris Sprouse. Yes, but but whereas Chris Sprouse now I feel is very uh, solid and three dimensional, mm-hmm. it's like a weirdly squishy Chris Sprouse. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me. It, it's something where he learned a lot of lessons in com- compactness. You know what I mean? That, yeah. that just have served him super super well. Um, so I don't know. It you know it just. I, and I think ultimately that kind of, for me, became this kind of way in which it was sort of like open-ended comic books end up having problems, especially in some cases where, where like, I don't necessarily know if, like, at issue seven or eight or nine, you know, Giffen was thinking, well, I was I told myself I was only going to give it a year, or he originally had, like, four years of storylines and then by issue eight or nine, he's like, this kind of isn't going to work out. Or there's kind of a, well, you know, honestly, we did such a good job with the dual reboot of cleaning the slate. Because at that point, the, the the idea of moving the narrative forward and 
filling it in with what happened to the heroes in the time since seems to get a lot more. It isn't given as much center attention as yeah, it was previously. It, it, it's really interesting because the first three issues are very. Um, there is a story that has happened that mm-hmm. we will hint at and you will learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he's done the dual reboot, mm-hmm. he stopped teasing it in the same way. Yeah. Like it comes out of it with, I'm now moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, at least me as a reader has a, no, but there's all these other things that you've not resolved. Exactly. Like, like we can't move forward. There's all these other things that you were just about to tell us. Exactly. You've got no less than two characters involved in the massacre at Vendigo Bay or whatever that is clear, like looms so large in the first two or three issues. And then, you know, but then just becomes kind of a, like, it's almost like a, oh gosh, but what am I going to tell Brack that he saw me kissing Blorks? You know, it's just like, okay, what? Like, how did, how did you downgrade this so quickly? Um, you know, so I think there there is a little bit of the idea of like part of me really wishes because I honestly I had no idea when you gave me the first twelve issues. I'm like, are there only twelve issues? There's more than twelve <laughs> oh, issues. Oh no, it, like, it goes on. It goes on for quite some time. No, right? Which I found out when I had to jump on Wikipedia so that I because when that twelfth issue hit and I read, I was like, whoa, wait, what do I do now? Like I really was because it ends on a cliffhanger. I'm like, do do you want me to send you the other issues? Like, are you? Uh, yeah. That's actually a really good question. Do you want to read more after this? Um, I don't know. I mean, let's put it this way. If given a choice between this and binge watching House of Cards, yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> that is your choice, Jeff. Yeah. Because the new, new season of House of Cards starts tomorrow. So yeah, come on. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that that's my thing. I'm just like, I don't care. You know? So it, it is that thing of like, yeah, I, I, would, I would be curious in seeing – this scene where where the next year of this goes although as time went on i'm amazed that like like i would have to say my curiosity was piqued by issue three i'm pretty much like on board and really invested by issue seven and then issues eight through 12 are kind of me backing down to kind of the same level of you know, me following along with Fuka to see if Ghost Fuka pops up or not. You know, part of me is like, mm-hmm. sure, I'll see the next 12 issues. But in part because the narrative, the drama of these issues is really now sort of happening behind the scenes. Like, who's steering this boat? I honestly feel that the beer bombs have really made a very strong case for themselves, in particularly in the second half of the the 12 issues as being like well we're we're the people who are driving the bus and the bus seems much less interesting for me mm-hmm. than than the battle well, over who's driving it there there's a uh giffen is eventually leaves mm-hmm. but before giffen leaves uh he introduces a younger version of the legion of superheroes he basically brings back the team as they were, as they existed in like the shooter era, right? Right. Um, and there is an implication that they are clones. Mm-hmm. The legend goes, and I'm not sure if Giffen's ever said this, but the Beerbombs have definitely said this. Mm-hmm. The Giffen's original plan 
was that some of them would be clones and some of them would be the real thing. Yes. And some of the grown-up characters would be clones Mm -hmm. and some of them would be the real thing. Mm -hmm. And his plan was to, at random, choose who was going to stick around. (laughs) And then they were going to be the new Legion of Superheroes. Right. So you would have... And again... In doing so, he is predicting Bendis's all new X Men, like thirty also, years before it happens. Uh, all new uh, X Men's and Secret Invasion, both actually. If you if you want to look at it, you yeah. know, and, and I mean, considering where he brought this up, he is either working contemporaneously with the Spider Clone Saga, you know, or following right in its footsteps. But you know, but he when, when did Spider Clone start? Well, I thought it started. It would have started around like. 93, Three. 94, you know, and this, this first year is 1994, October, 1994. Okay. So yeah, he, uh, Giffen was first. So right. Which is amazing. So Giffen was off the book by the time the clone saga started. Okay. Um, but yeah, so, so there is apparently this element of Giffen knew where he wanted to go, mm-hmm. but he was so open to chance with that. Like, his map was very, very vague, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he was perfectly happy winging it. Right. <clears throat> Which is amazing. I mean, I mean that is really pretty impressive. And again, shows a certain, despite Giffen's, um, that I think that also does, I think, unfortunately point to a shortcoming, despite his considerable formalist chops that you can see in a guy who is taking the nine panel grid and putting it to again an even more rigorous standard than you would find in Watchmen um and eventually he's kind of like yeah but uh, whatever you know there is a little bit of that or it could be like this and there's not necessarily a problem with that I just find that it tends to undermine the immediacy of the storytelling and and in that sense as long as we're you know sort of positing the five-year legion as essentially the the from hell of 21st century pop culture um you know (laughs) that is that that whole the struggle between kind of having 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 enough knowledge and experience and interest and skill to bring off formalist ideas, insisting to everyone that there is a roadmap while at the same time behind the scenes kind of being like, okay, time to change the roadmap again for whatever reason. And I'm okay with it. Again, you see a lot of that get played out in pop culture of the 21st century. I'm thinking very specifically of, of lost, but you see it happen pretty much through a lot of television, you know, through the 21st century where they just, or the end of the 20th, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's one part like, oh yeah, we're driving the bus towards this goal. And meanwhile, years later, they're like, yeah, we, we didn't know. We had no yeah, idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we, we were, we were really good at pretending, but we, yeah. we had no idea. Yeah, it's, it's, Giffen's Legion is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really fascinating. It is, for me, a fails experiment, but it's such a great experiment. It's a, it is a great experiment. <laughs> it's a failed experiment, and there is a way in which I wonder to which the the failed experiment is 
isn't isn't necessarily the failure seems to point towards the nature of open-ended comics you know that that if you if he was doing this as a mini series if this was a creator owned project where it could have gone anywhere uh you know that that there would be a consistency of tone that would allow us to define it as you know something like quote unquote art you know but the way that it's being made and what it's being made for i mean you're basically trying to make a robe that can fit you know an amorphous shape changing unending entity you know like that's that's the legion are going to be there at the time it seemed like the legion were going to be there like you could jump 5 years in the future and then you know, it was a good way to make a break and a clean start, you know, after everything that Levitz had done, which must, you know, a great way to get away from under that shadow. Um, well, I, I, but also Levitz left the book in a very strange place. Mm. Um, and intentionally so. And I think he left it there knowing that Giffen was going to do the jump mm. because otherwise he left the book in such a way that he had fucked whoever followed him. Which um, would not Levitt, put me past Levitz, I have to say. God bless Le- that guy. Le- Levitz finishes the run of the book that preceded this mm-hmm. by essentially destroying technology. Wow. Uh, he There's a, a run called, I think it's called The Magic Wars. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, in the course of that story, basically all technology ceases to work. Mm-hmm. And the end of the story is not, oh, great, it's, we've switched it all back on again. The end of the story is, oh, great, we didn't die. Right. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, there's kind of... <laughs> you, you, can, you can keep talking. I'm going to mute myself. Sure. Okay. Um, wait, but I have to keep talking? This is intensely weird, Graham. Okay. Uh, I, so, for me... Never gonna know. I have to. I totally guide myself by your cues, Graham. Okay, let me try this again. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, I was reading a. Well, this may not tie in especially well, but I was reading the Superman versus Mongol trade that I wrote about very, very super briefly for the website. And yes, was, yes, which, right? which I saw. Yeah. Okay. Good. One of the things that killed me is I, I had three points there, but I ran out of time. I didn't have time to talk about my fourth point, which is that you can find Paul Lev in the middle of Superman versus Mongol folded in is Paul Levitz's um, what would you call it? Guide to Life, I guess. <laughs> really. Yeah, oh, totally. Oh, my God, are, are you going to make me go and buy this comic? Okay. Uh, no, no, because it's terrible. But get it from the library. Because there is the the Whatever Happened to Starman issue. Uh, yes. Oh, wait, of DC Comics Presents? Yes. Oh, I, I, it's, and it's the main story? Because uh, that's, yeah. that's in the second DC Comics Presents showcase, which I haven't read, but I have. Oh, God. Okay, so, yeah, get that out. And re- well, it's not actually that big a deal. There is just one panel. God, let me see if I have it on my iPad because I don't. Oh, I'm looking this up now. Oh man, am I looking this up? (laughs) Because there's there's essentially there's a a panel where um, Starman, who has been stuck with the world's most ridiculously convoluted series situation that he's that has been canceled out 
from underneath him. He has to spend a huge amount of time explaining to Superman what's happening. And uh, have you, um, I'm looking at it right now. There's at least two pages of exposition. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so basically, um, of course, like an idiot, I ended up like taking the whole thing. Starman is talking about how the Empire was formed by the dude who basically had a planet destroyer and essentially formed the Empire because everybody would rather be part of the Empire than having their planet blown out from under them. And Superman says, it sounds to me like your empire isn't much better than the one Mongol would like to found. And Starman says, and think of this as coming from the guy who goes on to run DC Comics for 20 years, right? Empires are only as good as the men who rule them, Superman. For all the damage Rilsom and his kind did, other emperors have been builders. The worlds are better for having had them on the Onyx throne. Interestingly enough, when I first read that panel, the person that I thought of wasn't Paul Levitz, but Grant Morrison, because Morrison... <laughs> I was going to say Jim Shooter, but okay. That's so funny, because to me, um, Morrison is essentially saying the same thing about Superman, you know, that Superman exists, like he exists, he's in the world now, you know, you can sort of complain about the, the, the original sin of Siegel and Schuster being stripped of everything but essentially superman exists the worlds are better for superman being in it if superman is being guided by someone who is a by a benign force a benign force exactly this is also the way that i feel that that levitz goes on to look at his extensive run at dc comics is he doesn't have a lot of um, naivete about the situation, but he does ultimately have this sense that basically it's okay for him to run this empire because he, his heart is in the right place and he can run it in a way that will do the most people the most good. I Yeah, I can see that. And so it was kind of weird to have this tucked into – you know, a trade paperback that I'm reading, you know, that's basically about the Thanos reskin, that's basically the Dark Side's reskin, you know, beating up Superman. And in the middle of listing all of his appearances, here's this crazy Jim Starlin, Paul Levitt's DC Comics present story that's trying to wrap up ridiculous amounts of an of a superhero's old series, which is always something I always dug anyway. You know, and of course, by the time that you get to the end of the story, Levitz and Starlin have sort of wrapped up this, um, this gimme, you know, that the Starman essentially ends up destroy being the only person who has the power to actually safely destroy the planet destroyer and free the empire. And that's the whole reason why mentor or monitor or whatever the hell the the mysterious it's, it's guy mentor it's i know but i was like dude make it monitor that would be awesome bring back starman is totally you know underneath the morrison's final crisis rubric oh you've you have totally not read uh james robinson starman have you no i haven't oh I, james robinson brings back Mastro. all the starmans and right. and does just uh some wacky attempts at engelhartian Right. Uh, coherency. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That that part of me is like, oh, if you've read this, you should read that. I might actually read that now because I, I did walk out of this being like, oh, like aware enough that this Starman has enough in common with the other Starman. And being vaguely, I did walk out wondering like, oh, I wonder if Robinson Starman like dealt with this stuff. I'm sure that it did. Oh, oh it did. Yeah. Uh, Robinson Starman, really, it, it, for all that Robinson gets a lot of sick. Uh, from everyone, let's be honest. Um, Robinson has a lot of Steve Englehart in him, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to continuity. Yeah, actually, it's one of the things I seem to always like about Robinson is whenever uh, I hear the descriptions of his stuff, it's like, oh, and then he brings back blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, oh. yeah. Uh, yeah. And and his Starman is like the, the zenith of that. Right. His Starman is jaw-dropping in its... Everything counts, and I'm going to tell you how yeah. in obsessive detail. Right, right. Um, so, so all the starmen come into it in the end, and he does a not exactly re retcon for this starman, mm-hmm. but a retcon for another starman that includes this starman. <laughs> oh, but of course, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I, do you want me to spoil it for you, or would you sure. rather read it? No, no, no. no. Go uh, for it. He reveals that the Starman from um, the Roger Stern series, uh... Uh, his sister, that Starman's sister, is, is from the alien planet that this Starman, the Starman from the Mongol series, is from. Uh-huh. And I might be misremembering, but I think he might actually go on to say that they are the same person. That the two Starmen are the same. But huh. they just never remembered it because of, like, space amnesia or something. I see. It's been a while since I've read it, but he definitely connects the two and makes it ends up with the two being the same character. And I can't remember if it's because they always were or because there's some shenanigans that then links them. Wow. So... Does the Starman's kid, does that end up being Star-Lord, or does it end up being Nova of the current Nova series? You're thinking of the, that's Marvel. <laughs> what I, are you doing? That, that was just me being a jerk. Because I was kind of like, there was something about the Starman's sister being the, you know, it's like, oh, was actually from this planet. And I'm like, oh, right. And then she has a kid, and he ends up getting a cassette tape, and you know. So, um <laughs> That's right. The Starman's son goes on to become Star-Lord of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. See, there we go. We've crossed the streams, everyone. Go nuts. Um, oh, man. Yeah. No, I, you know, I have to say, I, I found the Superman versus Mongol read very, very interesting. Uh, because you've got Len Wein, Starlin, Paul Levitz, Starlin... Um, a bunch of dudes who are not Starlin, and then you follow it Starlin. up with Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Well, that's it. I'm like Starlin. I mean, and and the this it's a shame because the first the introduction of Mongol, which is very much like Len Wein and Jim Starlin, who is clearly drawing it like uh, after waking up on a drunken bender and realizing he has the pages to do at noon. But thank God Vince Coletta has passed out in bed next to him on this drunk bender and together the two of them are going to make it happen. Um, you're saying it wasn't incredibly considered work. I think that's what you're saying. I, yeah, I have to, I have to say, I was like, wow, these pages are kind of a crap fest. And then it, to me, it's a relief when you see whatever happened to Starman, and it's like, ah, 
There's the Jim Starlin I know. You Wait, know. what's the funniest for me? I had exactly the same. That's the Jim Starlin I know, but not with that tone of voice. I know, Graham. I knew that that was going to be the case. <laughs> I appreciate you explaining that out for the listeners, but we know we know what a vindictive snake you are when it comes to Jim Starlin. <laughs> I've given that man so many chances, so many chances. <laughs> You have no idea what I've suffered. I've suffered Thanos the Infinity Revelation, Jeff. Oh, that is true. That is true. You have gone farther down that road. It's a shame because there are times, like with the BOGO sale, I was like, oh, I could actually, uh, like, you know, it's that weird thing. Night Nurse for 99 cents? Yes. I'm glad I got them. If I had paid, like, you know, three ninety nine, that would have been, like, what is Thanos? It's like $20, right? Infinity Revelation? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's $25. Well, okay, so there's a thing that I learned. Are you looking at just the trade, the digital I was, trade? I, I, no, I was looking at the, the hardcover graphic novel, which is right next to you. Oh, okay. Oh, right, 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 that one, that one. Yeah, no, I mean, there is a way in which I'm, part of me is like, mm, you know, if that had been like a buck ninety nine or something. Like, I don't know, I, I totally, I didn't even make I will it tell you. I'll tell you right now, it wouldn't be worth it for a buck ninety nine. Yeah. Well, according to you, but of course, according to no, me. No, no. <laughs> on, on this one, I'm objectively right. Really? Okay, I'm sure yeah, you no, are. Because here's the thing. Even if you're a massive Starlin fan, and I'm sure Chad Never somewhere is like, no! Yeah, but see? I think that even if you're a massive Starlin fan, you have to admit that it is nowhere near Starlin at his best. Well... You, you're, you have to have a lot of hmm. patience with, like, even late era Starlin. Mm-hmm. I mean, not as much as Stormwatch, which was objectively oh, just Stormwatch. wacky, what the hell. But yeah. yeah, that poor guy. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I Ultimately, I, I, I assume you're right. I, I, let's put it that way. Because as someone who never even forced his, like, I never made it past Infinity War or whatever to make it to Infinity Crusade. Crusade, yeah, thank you. Wait, so you've not read any of the stuff after that? You've not read, like, Thanos the End or anything? I think I might have read the first few issues of Thanos the End, and then... They are all, all, all on Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, no, I know. You should should do a deep Starland dive, because Thanos versus Hulk issue one is on Marvel Unlimited now as well. Oh, is it? Oh my god, I didn't see it there. I think so. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I, could have sworn I I saw the other day. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be great if you were right, but... I have trouble believing it because it's because it's a four yeah, miniseries. Yeah, yeah, and it might that might be too recent. You might be entirely right. I don't yeah. know why I thought it was on there. I've just recently returned to Marvel Unlimited, so I've, I've been uh, I've been binge catching up on a lot of stuff. Oh, that's great! I I have a bunch of issues like set aside to read, but you know, I ended up buying you know a bunch of old Deathlock the Demolishers on that Bogo sale, and I read ten issues of that four issues of Night Nurse, and then a lot of manga. So, you know, it's kind of like Marvel Unlimited is hard because it really is the, like, I can sit down and I could read four issues of my favorite titles now have saved up, you know, but I've really got to get on the stick and do it, you know. And part of me is like, oh, they'll be there next week. Whereas, like, the, the there's a little bit of the, oh, boy, I just bought these issues on the Comixology sale. I just – I have to load them on my iPad and read them now. That's that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. That that that's your – your like, your approach. Because I, I, I was kind of the opposite. Like, I, I – well, first of all, I just don't buy Marvel stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. 
because I know I just have to wait. Right. And I'm old enough now that waiting six months apparently doesn't feel like that big a deal. Well, the stuff that I bought was Mar- very specifically Marvel stuff from the 70s that is not on Marvel Unlimited. So that yeah. that's what I bought. So no, I but totally it'll show get it. up there eventually. Eh, I would like I've, to believe that's I've the case. Faith. I I would faith, like to. I believe. mean, I fully expect Marvel is not going to leave money on the table. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, we'll see, man. By by which I I mean, all I know is that I I ended up I ended up turning around. And, I mean, it's fascinating to me that there's the first twenty issues of the Invaders. Um, on Marvel Unlimited, including the awesome Invaders Annual that ties into the Avengers 78 or whatever. But but they don't have issues like 21 through 41 or 42 on Marvel Unlimited, but they do have those issues available on Comixology. Like, part of me is like, okay, I just sort of assumed that there were 20 issues on Marvel Unlimited because... You know, they got digitized when they were putting together a trade and, you know, after six months, they're like, yeah, let's throw them on Marvel Unlimited, which makes sense to me. I didn't know that they had done the other, you know, 20 issues. And those are like, they're like, nah, we'll just sit there on and let it, we'll leave them on Comixology. I'm like, nobody's buying those. Nobody's buying those. You know, even me in the midst of my craziness could not bring myself to pay that much money for later <laughs> that's, era. That's invaders. a good sign. Even if I'm not buying it, then yeah, nobody's buying seriously. it. Seriously. I don't, I don't, I don't mean to bust your chops there, Marvel, but believe me at that point, you might as well just throw them on Marvel limited. And that is the thing that is amazing to me is part of me is like four issues of night nurse are sitting on a comiXology, but not on Marvel unlimited. How does that even make any sense? You know, I just, I don't, Part of well, me is that, like that is that is a surprising thing. Like if it's digitized, I don't understand why it's not Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, part of me is like, even if it's one of those situations where I mean, and this is the only situation that makes sense to me, is is that it gets digitized for the trade. They put the issues on Comicsology, like like it just got like they just digitized it, say six months ago, and they're going to leave them on Comicsology for your. You know, and then put them on Marvel Unlimited. That sort of makes sense. But I'm assuming that the stuff with Night Nurse hit Comixology has been sitting there for months. And I would be shocked if anyone, you know, I, I would not be surprised if like I'm like 25% of the Comixology Night Nurse audience. You know what I mean? Like it's just like the numbers might be that significantly low. Um, and part of me is like, then throw it on Marvel Universe because it to me it, the weird part is is that there are once you have the, enough of that stuff accrued like someone like me is going to pay sixty three dollars a year even if I don't end up reading the issues knowing that I I can like turn around and read Night <laughs> just Nurse just having the I comfort want. of knowing the Night Nurse is out there yes Graham yes. well no but it well I agree mm-hmm. but. Like, Night Nurse wouldn't be the hill I would die on for that. Things that, like, knowing that Marvel has not digitized Marvel 2-in-1 or Marvel Team-Up. Yes. And put them on Marvel Unlimited is far more surprising to me. Mm. Knowing that there's not a full run of the 1990s X-Men title. Right. It's really surprising. Like, the gaps in there are Mm -hmm. super weird. 
Yeah, they're super weird. They're super weird. I, on the one hand, I totally agree with you. And one of the things that I find fascinating is is the the way in which, to to me, yeah, I, I feel that there there a there's a lot of bigger stuff that you can't understand why it's not on there. There's a lot of little stuff that you're sort of like again. Part of me is like the Gerber Howard the Ducks. I feel have sort of a limited commercial viability. I mean, they just put the omnibus back in print, so I could be wrong. But the flip side of that is, like, these Howard the Ducks have been sitting on Marvel Unlimited, you know, for a year now. And they can still bring the omnibus back into print and have people that I know be like, holy shit, I've got to get that. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I feel – I really feel that Mar- Marvel is amazing to me in the way in which they are clearly – it seems like they're two steps ahead of everyone else in terms of understanding what an all-you-can-eat service can do for them, and yet also just crazily blinded uh, to the possibilities of what an all-you-can-eat service can do for them. You know what I mean? Well, like, what I'm super, super interested in is I, I'm going to have to look up the name of this company. Mm-hmm. Who is doing the Netflix for comics? Script. Script, Script. is doing the Netflix yeah, for comics, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly, right. What? I don't understand why my Marvel signed up to it. Um, Do you know what I mean? Like, is that now going to literally eat into Marvel Unlimited? I don't think that they think of it that way. I, well, they, they clearly don't. Right. Because they otherwise they wouldn't have done it because yeah. Marvel does not leave money on the table. Right. I think I, – personally, I think that Marvel is I, – I think it's actually – Marvel did it with half an eye toward people being like – if this gets a lot of Marvel fans reading stuff electronically, maybe it'll they can actually then they can steer them to Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, you know? maybe they're looking at it as a feeder. But my first thing when I saw it was, is that like have Marvel just undercut their own offering? Yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't I don't think they seem to view it that way. I honestly, the way that the Marvel Unlimited is being approached is kind of a mystery under its current setup under the way marvel runs part of me is surprised that that marvel that that marvel unlimited continues to exist and yet continues to kind of not be like their number one thing makes me think that there are people who care really passionately about it and are either able to argue well for it or operate with enough impunity that it can continue to remain uh, viable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But because um, I really do, part of me is very much like, you know, I feel like Marvel has it lined up as a possibility of like, well, if we ever decide to pull from comiXology, we can go to selling and offering our stuff strictly on Marvel Unlimited once we work out the delivery system for that. And part of me is like, Oof. I don't know. I, I, I <laughs> honestly, <laughs> so I don't. I don't know, Graham. I gotta say. Um, so, I, part of me is I, like also like we've gone two hours. Are yeah, we... I I think we should. I for once, because here's the thing. Last time we did this, we went over the two hour mark, and then you had to just run. Yeah, as soon true. as we finished recording. So I think we should. I think we should hit it and quit, Jeff. Okay. Hit it and quit it, says Graham McMillan on the cover of Source Magazine. Uh, we will be back <laughs> Source, next week. Source Magazine. Yeah, I like Source Magazine. 
Uh, I, Does Source I, Maxi even still exist? It probably doesn't. Does it? Hold on. I don't, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, God. Yes, it is! Yay! Well, at least the website still exists. Well, there you go. Can't who knows come. whether who knows whether the magazine itself still exists? Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, um, Jeff, you yes. were you were talking us up. Talk right, us I up, was... Jeff Lester. Do it. Um, hello, listeners. Welcome to that... Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that coughing voice you hear is the voice of Jeffrey the King Lester. <laughs> Those barking voices you've heard in the background when I've not hit mute and oh or God. Jeff hasn't edited them out because seriously, listeners, there's been a lot. I, um, yeah. I've been Gus, Ernie, and Cedar the Visiting Dog. Cedar the Visiting Dog. Snoop Cedar the Visiting Dog, if you will. Uh, you are on a hip hop band. I well, I feel, I feel like the source, you know. I'm like, hmm, Graham, let's talk about hip hop. Uh, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will be back next week. I was going to try and figure out if we are doing like what we're talking about then, but I think it's just going uh, to it's be, going another be another. Re- it's going to be another regular one. Yeah, yeah, another regular. Because we one. are because we shifted our, our off week this month. We're doing like five in a row. Yeah, and then we've got another off week. Yeah, we're, we're basically going to be talking for the next month, which I have to say, always pleasant, Graham. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking pleasant. forward to it personally. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, listeners. I don't know if you are, but Jeff and I are. Exactly. Um, yeah, next week is is another regular one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try and read some some reasonably modern comics before that. Yeah, that would be great. I, I'm still that, actually nice, kind right? of I'm kind of bummed we didn't talk about multiversity. Although I don't think we really had anything to say other than that was disappointing. But I think I, I part of me was like, I really want to talk about like how Jim Lee is kind of this weird, crazy liability for DC. Yes! Yes! You know? Because he's a big name whose art is still terrible. It, it, it's his, his, he's a big name whose art seems to be getting more terrible. Worse. Yes. Yeah, there, um, are, there are definitely moments in Mastermind where you're like, oh, look, <laughs> Rob Liefeld says possessed Jim Lee. For totally! Thing. Totally! Like, shockingly close. I really was. I was like, fucking... Shit, this isn't a, this isn't even at Jim Lee's previous levels of phoning it in. This is Jim Lee phoning it in at Rob Liefeld levels of phoning yes. it in. Yes, uh, in particular, I want to call out the uh, the Doctor Savannah sequence and Doctor Savannah's face when he is smiling, which apparently Jim Lee has never seen a human being smile in his life. Well, to be fair, I bet no. he has. He just hasn't. Because he's at DC, he's, he, he he's never seen a bald person in a couple smile? of years. I don't think. He's oh seen it. come on! <laughs> that Graham, wasn't that was cheap, even for you. You Jeff know Lester. it's true. You know it's true. <laughs> it's not like they walked in and they're like, "Hey, good news, everybody! We're totally going to reboot this biatch. It's going to be very exciting. It's going to be so exciting that we're actually not really going to tell people that we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. But we're going to pretend that we're not going to do it, which sounds crazy until you look Wait. at Marvel's press releases and you realize they're doing the same thing. They're talking. I'm talking about the post-convergence emergence, which or whatever they're called. Oh, divergence about. is what is. Is it divergence? Why Diver- would they call it? Dude, emergence is much better, except for the fact that you would call it emergency. In like yeah. the, the well, it's, but it, but it's not a continuity reboot. It's just different books. Yeah, it's just different books. It's twenty four different books all coming down the pike all at once in a in a form that is not a reboot. <laughs> yeah, but it's not it's not a continuity reboot. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I know. Well, yeah, we assume it's not. I, I'm I'm sure you're right. 
because there's other stuff that's going to be hanging around. Oh God, DC. Anyway, so yes, yeah, <laughs> J- Jim Lee's uh, art on multiversity. The first five or six pages, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be great. This is not going to be nearly as ta- terrible as I thought." And by the time we got to the end, it's like, "Holy fucking shit!" Jim Lee is actually ripping off Rob Liefeld. Like when um, the, when Doll Man and Doll Girl pop up at the end of that, the, you know, because they're supposed to be. Um, Quakers or Christian scientists or whatever it is, they they look so much like little Rob Liefeld dudes. I was just like, oh, this is Jim Lee. Jim Lee, get your act together, man. Part of it is also, I wonder what the inkers are doing. Because you notice at the end, there's like six inkers in this book, right? Oh, you know, I don't think I noticed that. I just assumed that it was his regular dude. But you're right. It's There, there are a bunch of other inkers on here, aren't there? Um, it, there are, let's see, there is one, two, three, four, five, no, four inkers. Scott Williams, Sandra Hope, Mark Irwin, and Jonathan Glapeson. Yeah, wow, right? Which suggests, you know, Jim Lee was burning the midnight oil to get this done in time, and they were like, just farm the book out to anyone who can fucking ink. Anybody who can ink it. And it's fascinating, because I have to say, like, I don't know, at least I feel with that in place... The issue of multiversity mastermen, at least I feel like I've got a framework to see it in that makes sense, that I don't know if it would have otherwise. You know what I mean? Because the thing that I think is interesting about multiversity mastermen, or the only way in which it's interesting, is the way in which, because you've got one artist, five inkers, storylines heading in every direction... And Overman pulling a sad pooping face at the end. There's kind of that feeling of the, how much Nazi Earth's comic books resemble modern DC New 52 comic books. You know what I mean? Seems see, here's the like thing. That's supposed I, to be. I, I, I don't think that's accidental. Yeah. See, that's my thing. Is is like, but but I can't but I can't understand how that would actually happen at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, is Grant Morrison just like the Mad Thinker, and he's like. You know, at 5.06 p.m., an organ grinder monkey (laughs) is going to break into Jim Lee's Italian villa with a match, thus destroying the 16 pages of previous good intentions Lee had worked on. You know, Well, to be utterly cynical, Mm -hmm. you could suggest that just hiring Jim Lee to draw your comic means that it is either going to be delayed or there's going to be this sort of jam inking on the end. We'll see, but I think I, I sort of feel like yeah, that's kind of it. I, it's a, it's, it's, it seems like on the one hand, it's the world's safest bet, but thematically, it still seems like a very strange bet. It also very much seems like it's a very strange way for um, Morrison to kind of, you know, assuming he's got an editor who is not necessarily, you know, closely rigorously questioning him it's you know it's like what's your third your the thematic through point for this issue grant oh it's basically how our comics are indistinguishable from the comics on nazis earth and i'm going to make that point by knowing that jim lee by taking on this assignment is totally going to poop the bed you know yeah, what I mean? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. They're like, what's your thematic through point? He's like, well, it's all about how Superman is a noble being no matter what earth he's in. In this one, he's in a terrible one where he is forced to do things that he knows are wrong. Like, you can totally sell this without saying it's actually about modern DC. Well, no, but I mean, but that's the other thing is if Grant Mo- – because Grant Morrison can walk out there and say that and know that none of the report – no one talking to him is going to be like – 
You mean like Superman Red Sun by Mark Miller? Because that's pretty much everything oh, that he's saying yeah. in Superman Red yes. Sun. You know? No, I, I, I think he's very aware of that as well, Jeff. Oh, believe me. The whole, like, what he's doing here in the face of Superman Red Sun is another fascinating thing <laughs> that's completely worth constructing, deconstructing, or very cynically, very super cynically um, trying to theorize about. You know, because it really is like this is this clearly looks at Superman Red Sun in a way that makes you know that he knows that it exists. Therefore, what can we really conclude about the way in which it is so rampantly parallel to it? You know, so mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it the, It's very easy to go to a place of him saying, coming up with a very less than charitable thing to say about Mark Miller, but I don't, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, it was a fascinating issue in the way in which Morrison was, seems to me to have been gambling to let it be bad, you know? Yes. And, and I yeah. find that, I find that deeply fascinating yeah it's Um, kind of yeah it's kind of nuts in the this is this is a disappointment it can't intentionally be a disappointment right 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 it can't be but but on the same token and admittedly i am i am far from the best person to suss out morrison's inner workings or or where he's going with his thematic points i think i'm very often just wide of the mark, but this one really is like, I don't understand like what this book can be pointing at. If not its own crappiness, you know, like I really am. Once you take that away, I do not understand what we're looking at. I really don't other than just something that seems like a very interesting commentary on the new 52, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's very, very strange issue and makes me very curious how the fuck? Because the next issue is the haunted comic, you know. Yeah. And and I kind of can't imagine. Like part of me is like, well, I'll be interested to see how he changes that up. But holy shit! I, I, no, yeah, I I think multiversity, and I think we said this last time, mm-hmm. is going to end in a very uh, messy fashion. Yeah, I kind of think so. Which is, yeah, it's going to be problematic. Oh no! Anyway, sorry, listeners. We were going to go, but I <laughs> we, was. We, we were. We were told like that yeah. took us like fifteen minutes of of going. Okay, we're going to go, but and then we end up a classic wait what moment. Yes, listeners. yes, indeed. We, we hope you appreciated that one from the old wait what bag of tricks. <laughs> we're literally on our way out, and then we find something else to distract ourselves. Please. Boom. Hope we never do a live show because if someone has a laser pen, we'd never get anything. Oh my god, that would be great. Grab, grab, look, look. No, it's over there. (laughs) Exactly. What we're talking about today is, wait, what's that? (laughs) So listeners, we'll be back. Thank you to the 95 people on Patreon who make this all possible. We are super, super grateful to you. Um, That's me applauding. Yes. Look for Uh, us. On the internet, we're mm-hmm. at com, where you can find not only the episodes, but comments by handsome and beautiful and sexy and intelligent people like yourselves. Um, you can also find written posts by Jeff and myself. Uh, we do one a week uh, each, I should say. Mm-hmm. So that is two posts in total a week. Uh, we are also on Wait What 
pod.tumblr.com and on Twitter at at waitwhatpodcasts. Our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcasts. We're all over the internet. We are. And, and we're sorry for that. <laughs> we, know, we know you'd like internet free of us, but sadly we are apparently all over it. Exactly. Um, uh, we will be back in a week. We will be doing a regular episode. Two weeks from now will be the uh, next Baxter building, which means that Jeff and I and listeners, yourselves, should really get on with reading uh, issues 25 through 36 boy, of Fantastic be. Four with annual two. Yeah, boy, I'm going to get on that crap. Uh, but next time, you'll just catch regular old us talking about our regular old things. Um, maybe more and may- maybe Jeff will be healthy by then, so I don't know if you can hear him, but he's been coughing through this as well. Because oh, yeah. that, lor- that lurgy just sticks around, Jeff. It does. It does, Graham. Seriously, it's been, it's been a full two weeks now, and I'm not through with it. I kind of want to feel like I'm turning the corner and I'll be fine by next week, but I make no goddamn promises. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a really yeah. weird one. It is a really um, And also, this uh, next episode, uh, for people who were irritated by me dropping a comment earlier on about something I'm NDA'd about, the NDA will be up by the time the next episode is, is going on, so I will explain what I was talking about. Fabulous. I said I had to read stuff, but I couldn't talk about it yet. Yeah, that's great, because I was kind of confused by that, too. So I will tell you as soon as we start recording. Yay! Okay. <laughs> Sorry, people. Sorry, listeners. We love you, really. We'll talk to you next week. Bye! It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. 